So we're going to carry on with the next, um, next bit of Peter. You want to hold on tight? There's going to be a can of worms open this morning. Get ready. We've hit the wives and husbands bit. Um, should we pray? <laughs> Father, I thank you that you're good. Thank you, God, that you have a good plan for our lives. You have, um, you have a good plan for men. You have a good plan for women. You have an awesome plan for marriage. Um, and Father, I pray that we would um, we just hear from you this morning, God, where we've, um, God, wherever we find ourselves, whatever situation, um, whatever position we would take over these things, God, I ask that you would come and speak to us. Um, thank you that you're good and you're kind and you're gentle. But Lord, we want, we want the fullness of your word. We want the fullness of the kingdom in our lives, in our marriages. Um, so Holy Spirit, come help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. If you're in your Bibles, 1 Peter 3. Um, I'm going to move this. There's a squeaky bit. It's going to bug me. 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. But this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do, not, if you do what is right and you do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you, you live your lives, as you live with your wives, And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Alrighty. Like on first reading, maybe on second reading and fifth reading, that's a little challenging, um, I think. Honestly, you know, there are some some tricky passages in the Bible on lots of things, actually. Um, But listen, what we can't afford to do is ignore them. And think, Ooh, don't like that one. Let's not talk about it. You know, we're we are preaching through Peter, so we are preaching through Peter. We can't just skip this bit because it's tricky. Um, do you know? And we need to be really careful. What we can't afford to do is say, well, some of that doesn't sound like it fits with 21st century UK. So I'm going to have to reinterpret that according to culture. That's that's not a healthy thing to do. Listen, we need to understand it was spoken into a culture and understand that. But we equally need to take what is eternal and universal and hold on to that. And you know, there's. You know, we've ended up in a pickle in lots of places where we've reinterpreted God's word and God's standard and said, well, that doesn't necessarily fit um, with, you know, culture as if, you know, 21st century UK culture is somehow kingdom. I mean, it's really not. Um, but I get it. It's, it's tricky. And, you know, I've, I, I hope I'm going to bring some, be clear on this. Um, I have thought and read and prayed probably as much on these kind of things as I have on anything else, you know, being... So being a, being a woman, I was, I've got three sisters, so raised in a Christian home, four girls, very much kind of in a female-dominated house. And, and my parents really raised us to be everything we were going to be. And like I, so I didn't grow up feeling any restriction. And I, when I kind of, I suppose, kind of became an adult, I suddenly kind of realized, gosh, in the church, that's not always everyone's experience, not every woman's experience. And, um, and, and my heart was, God, I feel like, I feel like I'm called to lead. I feel like I'm called to teach. Um, 
But it's not good enough if I just feel like I can. Like I, I need to know, God, that that is what you want. I, I need to know that that's okay. And so I've, I've really have... Um, I've really sort of dived into this stuff. And so I'm hopeful it'll be clear. But some of the bits in the Bible, honestly, they just used to tick me off. Like I'd find them really patronizing and really restrictive is what they feel like sometimes to women. Um, But I think we have to understand those and read them through the foot. Well, hang on a minute. Jesus came that I, as a woman, would have life and life in all its fullness. So uh, this can't be about being patronized and restricted this this still this passage tricky as it is still has to be about me being led into abundant life um, so how does that work out um, and so to kind of get the most out of this like we'll, we'll probably jump into a bit of Ephesians as well because um, that would be helpful but I think um, I want to start at the end and, and work back almost I want us to, to jump, jump into verse 7 um, which says this husbands in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. It's really important we kind of take off any wrong lenses before we start reading this passage. And, and you know, if, if ever you have picked up the message or it's maybe even been taught that, you know, you know biblically, you know, there is hierarchy. Women are inferior to men. Um, they are less valued. Men are the boss. I, I want you to take, I'm, I'm hopeful I will biblically explain I don't mean that's right Um, but we need to take those things off Um, because otherwise if we have that view you know men are superior women are inferior men are the boss then we read this stuff about submitting and it makes a really pretty grotty reading Um, and sometimes I think we can be so frustrated and maybe so confused that we miss some absolute dynamite and in the second half of this verse um, really it's the headline and there's, there's so many other bits that we can kind of trip up on but we miss the headline is this that they are heirs with you in the gracious gift of life like that is the headline that was a cultural and spiritual bomb going off if you you know the the time it was written into um you know peter is kicking against the absolutely accepted stereotypes of the day and the sort of relational norms so he was writing as you know we looked at the scattered church so all over sort of first century so greek culture and jewish culture both of which very much patriarchal, very much men in uh, superior, women are inferior. So Aristotle, you heard of him, Greek thinker, philosopher, a few hundred years before Jesus, um, Aristotle was knocking about, but he very much, his thinking would have shaped Greek culture. And he said this, you know, as regard the sexes, the male is by nature superior and the female inferior, the male ruler and the female subject. It's all right. Hold it back, women. Hold it back. You can boo. That's fine. Um, like, okay, so that's Greek thinking. That pretty much sums it up. Okay. Similarly, in Jewish culture, interestingly, it shifted. If you look in the Old Testament, we had women, you know, there were women prophets, women judges, women leading. But there's all this religious stuff had come on that come in that wasn't in the Torah, wasn't in the first sort of five books of the Bible, that there was such restriction. So really, in Jewish culture, it landed that um, absolutely women were considered inferior. They were under the authority of men, either their father before they got married, husband afterwards, you know, couldn't go out of the house without husband, you know, couldn't have a job. And, but and you look at Proverbs 31, and this, you know, godly woman is held up, um, you know, as having her own business, you know, sees a bit of land, goes, buys it. Like, she's, like, it, there's a... It's, things had slid, um, but anyway, Jewish and Greek culture was very much men here, women here, okay? Um, that was the absolutely accepted view, and that's, that's how life was. So if you understand that, and then Peter comes along and says to husbands, 
You know, your wives are heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Other translations say they are co-heirs, joint heirs with you. That's what the Greek means. Um, That is groundbreaking because that categorically is not how life was. It wasn't how society was set up at all. And so, like, that's the headline. You know, it was empowering and honoring of women in a stunning way. And I think, you know, we miss that little phrase sometimes because we kind of trip on up, up on the other bit sometimes and we don't recognize um, that actually that's the lens you need to have in place so when we're going to go and look at some of the other bits the lens you need to have in place is we are joint heirs of the gracious gift of life that's what peter's saying and that is staggering you know if in the context it was written into that is amazing um, that's the lens you've got to read the rest of it with so even the rest of that verse husbands in the same way be considerate that means think Just as an aside, to consider means to think. Think how you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, again, it sounds a little bit patronizing. All he's talking about is physical, all right? That's the Greek word that absolutely is implying physical. That's not, there's nothing else. It's not spiritually weaker. It's not intellectually weaker. It's not morally weaker or anything else. It's purely talking Physically, it's not a commentary on value or significance. It, it really is just a statement of fact. And listen, there's masses and masses of research which would tell you physiologically, for the most part, men are stronger than women. Okay, So men turn more of their calories into lay down as muscle. Women do more as fat deposits, which seems a little unfair, I think. <laughs> but that's how it is. But females in general have a lower total muscle mass than men. They just do. Okay? Um, on the other hand, lots of, you know, sort of psychological testing and things now which, you know, measure aspects of emotional intelligence. And for the most part, women would seem to have the edge over men on those. Now, does that mean either one of those things is better, more valuable, superior? No, it doesn't. But it, it just does mean different. Listen, it doesn't mean men don't have emotional intelligence. It doesn't mean women can't be physically strong. They definitely can. But listen, there are differences. And for the most part, it just is a fact, you know, men are stronger than women. It's fine. That means Phil carries the suitcases. I'm fine with that. Like, it is a fact. Um, men, are, men are stronger. That's all that verse is saying. But I think sometimes, because we have so much kind of insecurity and baggage from this whole, you know, the Bible's telling me as a woman I'm less, that we hear that and think, who says I'm weaker? It's like, no, I am. It's fine. You lift the heavy stuff because you are stronger than me. That is okay. But what Peter is going after is, is, is paired with this, listen, you are co-heirs with Christ now, co-heirs in this grace, is to kick against this culture that says, listen, because you're stronger, it means you're the boss. Because you're stronger, you're therefore superior. And women, because you're weaker, that means you value less. That's what he's going against. You say, men, because you're physically stronger, like you don't get to use that to manipulate, control, and dominate. And actually, physical strength is, off, you know, is, it is used to dominate. Um, so Peter's really clear. Listen, your wife might be physically weaker, but you are to show respect. Other translations say honor. It means you are to elevate, protect her, establish her as a co-heir in Jesus next to you. So it's gone from, you know, the culture of the time was men are here, women are here. You know, what Jesus modeled and what, you know, Peter is saying here is it brings the two absolutely on a level. And that is groundbreaking. He's saying to husbands, listen, you honor her because she is an heir of grace just the same way you are. So it kicks against any of that kind of controlling, um, 
culture because you, you know well because you're stronger you can he's like that's not good enough anymore so you know actually that verse for me that verse seven is a profoundly powerful and empowering verse for me as a woman it's challenging for you husbands um but it's actually really empowering if we understand it correctly um and listen, it's an important verse. Husbands, listen to, you know, the, the severity of what happens if husbands don't get this piece right is that they lose God's ear. It says that your prayers are hindered. You need to learn, consider, think, how do I honor and respect my wife as an absolutely equal heir in this kingdom? Because I need to get that piece right because I want my prayers to be heard. You know, it says, um, you know, prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. You know, righteousness is going to look like honoring and respecting your wife. You have to get that piece right. That's the role of a husband. So let's go back to the beginning, um, verse 1. And we're going to talk about the S word. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. I want to talk about submission. Listen, it's, it's tricky. It's, and I, honestly, it's been, I think, horribly misunderstood and mistaught and misapplied. Um, I want us to look, understand, that's why I started at the, the end. I want us to understand, what does submission look like when we are co-heirs of grace? Okay, if you don't have that, you know, joint heirs of grace, then, then you know, things are a little bit ropey. Um, but it, totally, it's a potential can of worms, but we need to look at it. It's not the only place in the Bible. You know, Paul talks about it in other places as well, and... Um, I'm aware that this is a huge topic, and I'm aware I don't want to run over time, um, and I'm probably not going to be able to say everything I want to say. Um, we looked at this, I spoke on this, it was actually three years ago, I looked at about June 2013, when we were going through Colossians, it comes up again, um, and so I looked at it, and, and probably we'll go, probably there's more detail in what I said then than I might have time to cover, so we'll, we'll try and make that podcast available, we'll bring it up on um, social media or something, but just for a bit more detail, um, you can look there. Um, so in this verse, you know, Peter is saying specifically, wives, submit to your husbands. And he holds up women of the past, particularly Sarah, um, you know, as a model, saying, because, listen, they adorned themselves not with the external stuff, which we'll look at in a bit, but actually, you know, with hope in God, and also in the way that Sarah submitted to Abraham. Um, so it, it's like it's there as a model for wives to submit to husbands. Um, and I'm gonna, I want us to dive into Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 28, just because it gives us a little bit more detail. Um, but I think it's really important. Whenever, you know, whenever we're looking at you know, specific, you know, particularly the potentially tri- tricky ones, and listen, people, land, people in the church who love Jesus, who love the word of God, land in different places with this kind of stuff. Um, and I, I get that. Um, but I think it's important we have some general principles in place and, and then we understand, try and work out the specifics on the top of that. Does that make sense? So in Ephesians 5, the specific passage is in 21 to 28, but Paul starts that chapter in Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2, saying this, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So when he's talking about the specifics of, you know, the you know, responsibility of wives, responsibility of husbands, it's in the context of walking in the way of love and following Jesus' example, which is about sacrifice and giving up. Okay, that's the general, and then we have to work out this, this other stuff. So verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. While it's absolutely true, um, the specific call in marriage is for wives to submit to husbands. There is a general call to every person who loves Jesus to submit to one another. 
So husbands, you do not have a get out and say, I don't have to submit to your wife. That's just not biblical. All of us, married, single, adults, children, all of us are to submit to one another. And wives, it's not that the only person you have to submit to is your husband. Like, you have to submit to your kids. You have to submit to your friends. You have to submit to your parents. Like, this is really important. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay? It is a general call to every Christian. But, Verse 22 does specifically say, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Alrighty, can we put up the table? This little table, I think, um, I'm hopeful is helpful in... Have we not got a table? Oh, I haven't got it. You've got it. Great. Okay. This, if you like, is a little table that sums up that passage. So on the left-hand side, husbands, that's your responsibilities. On the right is wives. So husbands are to sacrifice as to the Lord. Um, wives are to submit. It says that why, it talks, Paul talks about wives being the body, um, and it talks about husbands being the head. It talks about um, husbands having to love your wife as yourself, and it talks about wives to respect. So, I think there's two ways where we end up in a pickle, where we go wrong. Um, I think, firstly, it's our f- often it's our foundational understanding and motivation that sits beneath the specifics. You know, we forget to try and filter and understand and apply these things. We forget to filter it through, well, hang on, we are co-heirs of grace. You know, it says, you know, Paul says in Galatians, there's now, you know, there's no difference now, male and female, Jew um, Gentile, slave free, we are all one in Christ Jesus. So some, we forget to filter it through those things, which is why I started where I did. So actually, if we don't have that in place, this then ends up looking like hierarchy and control. Um, so we've gone wrong. And hopefully, I've made that clear in terms of having some foundational things in place first. I think, honestly, the other way that we get it wrong is that how we try and put these things together. Um, and I think the problem is we tend to try and figure out this whole puzzle. And hey, listen, it is a bit of a mystery. Paul says later on in Ephesians 5, hey, this is a bit of a mystery. You know, how Christ loves the church and husbands wife. Like, it is a bit of a mystery. Um, so that's okay to have some kind of some puzzling to do. But I think the problem is, is what we actually do is we try and figure out the whole picture and we focus in really only on two pieces. And the pieces we tend to submit uh, to kind of hold on to are wives having to submit and husbands being the head. Like, that's the thing we talk about, and that's the whole deal. Um, it, it's, and we only look at those two pieces, and we desperately try and make those two pieces fit together, not realizing there's a whole load of other pieces. If you're doing a jigsaw puzzle, like, what, submission and headship are important pieces of the puzzle. I'm not saying they're not, and we can't just say, I don't like those pieces, I'll chuck them out, because you're going to have an incomplete picture. But they're not the only pieces, and I don't think those two are the two that naturally fit together. I'm hoping I'm going to make this clear for you. So I think often, if you think, think about that jigsaw analogy, maybe, is that if, you know, if we want the picture of our marriages to be you know, life in all its fullness, which is what Jesus came for us to have, if you're doing a jigsaw, you need all the pieces, and you tend to, 
I mean, unless you... It would stress me out if you didn't, but you'd do the edge pieces right first, yeah? You'd get the corners. Come on, people. You'd, like, you'd get the edges in first, wouldn't you? And, and I think we miss the frame of this stuff if we don't remember, hang on, God is good. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. He's come that we would have men, women, children, single, husbands, wives. We'd have life in all our fullness. Like These are almost some of your corner pieces of your puzzle. Get some of the edges in place. Have those bit in place first. Um, and, and then we can do the middle pieces. But we get fixated with these two pieces that they must fit together. And so if you look at almost at that table, is, is almost if you were sort of joining them up, you'd join up. Husband is the head. That, well, that links to wives submit. I don't think it does. I think husbands are the head fits with wives of the body. I think um, wives to submit fits with husband's sacrifice. Like, I think we've forgotten two of the other pieces, which is husbands to sacrifice and wives being the body. Um, so head, husband is the head. Wife should submit. I, d- I don't think that's how it is. I don't think that's the way it is. I think head is with body, not submission. I think submission is about sacrifice. Submission and sacrifice are positions, they're behaviors that we're called to do. The body and the head is this kind of metaphor that Paul's using. And if you think about it physically, um, you know, a head without a body is not much use. Listen, in saying that, I am not saying to single people, you are incomplete till your husband arrives, till your wife arrives. That is not true. This is about husbands and wives so single people sitting there you are absolutely complete in Jesus you don't need a man to come and complete you you don't need a husband to but when you're married and I want those of you who are you know sitting there believing for marriage and somebody wait I want to absolutely champion that he or she is coming your husband your wife is coming um but as and when you do this stuff matters but it is not that you know you single men are disembodied heads floating like that's not what I'm saying this is about marriage okay um, but I think it's a, it's a metaphor of this you know a body and a head they don't work without each other okay you know my head does not work unless my, I have a body and the heart is pumping blood to get to my brain do you, do you know what I mean like it wouldn't work and I, I think almost we can sometimes overcomplicate it and actually maybe it's just really simple in one sense in terms of well listen you're one flesh and a you know, head and a body, you need the both, and they do not work without each other. Um, the problem is, actually, we forget, rather than it being a picture of unity, I think, and the fact that, actually, you know, Phil doesn't work so well without me anymore. Like he did before we were married, but now, I, I don't do well without Phil, he doesn't do well without me. We need each other now, and that whole, you know, one flesh. The problem is that we've, we've twisted it, and I think we've linked stuff off wrong. So actually, the message that we give is, men is the head, I'm the head, so you submit. That's the message that can't, we can come across. I, I just don't think that's it. Um, you know, and, and we misuse it, and actually not focus on the fact that husbands are to sacrifice, to give up their very lives, like Christ gave up himself for the church. Listen, I don't think that means that you should take a bullet for your family if you had to. And I know there's not a man in this room who wouldn't step in front and say, I know you'd give your lives in that way. But listen, that's, that's unlikely to happen, please, Jesus. But actually what it means is, no, you need to sacrifice your preferences. You need to sacrifice some time. You need to sacrifice that hobby because your kids need you more. You need to sacrifice some money. It's not good enough to say, well, I'd take a bullet if I had to, but in every other context, I'm the head, so submit. Like, that's nonsense, and that's not okay. Um, you need to love your wife like Jesus loved the church, which is about sacrifice at every time. So listen, these roles, being a head, being a body, these positions about sacrifice and submission, they are 
equally challenging, but actually equally life-giving. Listen, the other area I think we, we get so muddled is because this, we really trip up over this whole idea of um, husbands being the head and headship. Um, it's really misunderstood. I think principally because we hear head meaning boss. That means your husband is the boss. Like, Phil's not my boss. He tries to think, now I stop being a physio and I'm working at church, he tries to think that he's my boss in work. He's not my boss. Um, headship is not about boss. You're not. But hey, listen. <laughs> Honestly, Phil is absolutely, he is my head. He is the head of our house. He's the head of my family. And I have absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. And I could be quite a feisty, independent woman when I want to be, but I have no problem with that. I think we need to, probably in the church, stop fighting about whether the husband is or isn't the head. Because I just can't find a way to understand these scriptural passages to say he isn't. Like, I, I think it says it time and time again, husband is the head. So I think we need to stop fighting about whether he is, but actually think, well, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? Um, and listen, there are different schools of thought, and I will probably, um, do you know what? I wasn't going to add this in, but I'm going to, because I want to make sure it's clear. Listen, there are different schools of thought as to um, what this whole headship thing looks like. The word head... Um, that's used in the New Testament most, but it's kephale, it's the Greek word. Um, and there's different ways, um, there's different ways where people land in terms of what does that actually mean. The Bible doesn't necessarily give us a definition, it gives us pictures. So, of course, you've got to slightly interpret those pictures. Um, there's two, principally, there's two schools of thought. One is that it lands about, and headship is about authority, okay? Um, I took these verses out, but I'm going to sneakily put them in. Apologies, they're not going to come up on the screen, but if you want to write them down and have a look at them, just for one example, Ephesians 1.22, and he put all things, he's talking about Jesus, under his feet and gave him as head, kafale, over all things to the church. Right, can you understand when you read that verse, that sounds like authority, doesn't it? So I think we've got to have some space for that. But other people will say, well, no, hang on a minute. You know, husband being head, headship is about source or the fountainhead, basically, so the start of a river, so where sort of stuff flows from. And so they would pull on verses um, like this in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. It talks about we will grow to become in every respect, we know this verse, don't we, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. So they would say, no, this, it's more about kind of flow and where sort of life comes from um, I honestly think actually sometimes maybe keeping it a bit simpler I, I have genuinely I have thought and read and prayed and l- like lots on this and uh, honestly I think I agree probably with both I think there's there is a there is an element where there's an authority part I absolutely think there's a place in terms of source and where life flows from um, but you know I also think that that whole metaphor in terms of actually as a picture of unity in a head and a body, making one person. I think that's just as important. Um, so there's different schools of thought um, as to what they actually mean. Genuinely, I, I, I think I have space for uh, it's some of all three, and we need to be okay with that. But listen, I actually don't think even that is the most important thing. The important thing is, well, what does it mean? Like, I'm fine with thinking about, you know, what, like, but what does it look like? Um, and so for that, we need to look at, well, how did Jesus do it? Like, whenever we're not sure, it's like, well, Jesus, you know, what did it look like for him? There's an amazing verse in 1 Corinthians 11 where it talks about that God is the head of church, 
um, Jesus is the head of every man, and that the husband and that the man is the head of the woman. So you have these three things of headship, yeah? So God is the head of Jesus, Jesus is the head of the church, man is the head of the woman. Okay, so these three things. Um, so if you look at G, you know, God's model, God as head, well, what did he do with that? Ephesians 1.20, he exerted this power, it's talking about the power of God, when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So what God did as the head of Christ was raise Jesus up and seated him with him. Okay, what about Jesus with us? Okay, he's the head of all of us, isn't he? Ephesians 2.6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So husbands, as the head of your wife, what do you think you need to do with that headship? I think it's very clear. You need to raise her up and seat her with you as a joint heir of grace in Jesus. The issue is not what do I get to do? Like what, what do I have, you know, what can I hold on to? Is actually what am I what am I called to lay down and then call my wife into as a head? That's what it's about. And in order to Raise, you know, for Jesus to raise us up required enormous sacrifice on the part of Jesus. So for husbands to raise their wives up as, you know, because you're the head is going to require enormous sacrifice from you. So I think, you know, you, you don't get the, I thought for years, oh, men have it so easy. We've got to figure out what does submitting mean and they just get to be the boss. It's just not it. They have to sacrifice. So this issue of headship, I think we misunderstand it because we think it's boss. Um, and and I think in terms of its meaning, is it source? Is it authority? Is it just about a head and a body? I Honestly, I've got space for all three. Um, but the issue is, what do you do with that position and that influence as the head? You exalt the one that you're head of. You lift them up and seat them next to you, which is what Peter's going after. It's like, it's not like this anymore. Your wife is next to you as a co-heir. And listen, for us, you know, let's, let's think about for all of us are called to submit to Jesus because he's our head, Okay. I don't have any issues submitting to Jesus because I see what he's like and I see what he's done and where he's positioned me. I've got no issues submitting to a head like that. So actually, if, you know, if husbands can learn to sacrifice like Jesus, that's why that call to husbands to sacrifice themselves, to give like Jesus gave himself to the church, is so vital because submission without sacrifice is not going to be an abundant life marriage. It's just not. And I think so often in the church, we've just banged on and on and on and tried to figure out, well, what does it mean for man to be head and woman to submit? And it's the only two pieces we talk about, and that's not the full picture. Um, so we actually get a really, dis, you, know, war, you know, it's like when you put two bits of the puzzle together, and it's like, well, I can force those to fit together. That picture makes no sense. And that's our, kind of what we've ended up as. You know, it doesn't look right. But listen, submitting is not demeaning, is not restrictive. But listen, in the same way, Headship is not about control and power. It's not about being the boss. Submission cannot be about weakness and inferiority because Jesus' whole life was one of submission. And so we have to, as husbands and wives, in marriage, we've got to shift from this position. In fact, not even just in, in marriage, but for all of us, we have got to shift from this position of what am I entitled to? What do I get? You know, almost what do I get to inflict? Where, what, how can I enforce my rights? It's not about your rights. It isn't. It's not about what am I entitled to or, or what about what's inflicted on me as a poor, weak, submissive woman. Like, that's absolute garbage. Actually, it's what am I positioned and empowered to give and lay down? How am I called to position myself? 
Um, That's why we have to read that passage in Ephesians in this context. Verse 1 and 2, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up. That's how you have to work this stuff out. Jesus did not have an inferiority complex. He did not have low self-esteem. He absolutely knew who he was, absolutely secure in his father. He wasn't bullied or pressurized or controlled into anything. He even said at his trial, didn't he? No one takes my life from me. I lay it down. He was absolutely in control. And I think Philippians 2, you know, when Paul says, you know, be like Jesus, basically. And he gives this amazing picture of what Jesus was like. But I love it where it says, you know, Jesus, um, he did not take his equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he made himself nothing. Listen, that's what submission looks like. It's knowing he knew his equality with God. I know my significance and my value before God. I can't secure in that. It's not that I am made nothing by being made to submit to my husband, but it's that I choose to take that position. And like, actually, that's not a weak thing to do. That's a very strong thing to do. So submission is, I know how unique, precious, influential, powerful I am. Um, I'm so secure in that that I can lay that down to serve you, to submit to you. Yes, to my husband, but actually to each one of you, to Luke and Abby, to the person in the shop. Like it's, and again, remember, submission is not just for wives. It is a lifestyle positional call for all of us. It's not about you know, wives being doormats, dictated to by a dominant husband who insists on getting his own way in everything. And honestly, that's, that is sometimes how it's been taught or certainly tolerated in the church. Like, I just think that's unbiblical. And I think it's very unchristlike. Meekness and submission is not a position of weakness. It's a position of real strength chosen by secure, significant people. There's real power in it. And you see in this passage in 1 Peter, actually, you know, that strong position to submit actually is so powerful that non-Christian husbands are going to be won over when they see how their wives are doing it. I am, I'm going to read this quote. It's a brilliant book. If you want to kind of unpack some of these tricky things, it's a book called um, Men and Women in the Church by Sarah Sumner, which is absolutely brilliant. And she says this, when a wife submits to a husband, she does not give up her will. Good news. On the contrary, she exercises her will to be guided by him. That doesn't mean she becomes a child who obeys him. It means rather that she conforms her will to his as a means of uniting with him. Something very similar happens when a husband takes the initiative to sacrifice himself for his wife. He doesn't become henpecked or lose his will to hers. On the contrary, he conforms his will to hers as a means of uniting with her. And listen, if we were all more focused on, actually, what do I get to give rather than what am I entitled to kind of grab hold of, then I think we'd have a much more comfortable reading of these passages. Um, Okay, I've got three minutes. Last piece. Um, Let's read verses um, three, four. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Let's pause there. Again, honestly, that can sound a little, you could read that, it's a bit patronizing, like, or we could take that as saying, you know, women should be weak because they submit, they should be silent because they should be quiet, you know, they should be, you know, dowdy and not have, like, I just don't think that's what it is. Um, If you read it from the Amplified Version, I think it's more helpful. Verse 3, it says, Your adornment should not be merely external. 
with interweaving and elaborate knotting of the hair and wearing gold jewellery or being superficially preoccupied with dressing in expensive clothes. I do not think this passage in Peter is saying, you know, you should not have a nice haircut, you should not wear jewellery, you know, you know, getting nice clothes. I just don't think that's what they're saying. I think when we read it with a sort of religious view, actually we're looking for rules, aren't we? And we're looking for, it's restrictive in terms of what women can or can't wear. And, you know, some people have done that. You know, I've met people who, you know, didn't have wedding rings because it was jewellery and it, the Bible forbids it. I'm like, I just don't think that's forbidding anything like that. But it's saying is, Actually, a woman's value and beauty is not merely in the external and that we're not to be preoccupied with, but being preoccupied doesn't mean you can't have an interest or a value in. Um, so we need to get those things right. Because actually, if you look at the rest of the you know, Bible, Psalm 45 talks about actually your husband delighting in a wife's beauty. Song of Songs definitely talks a lot about physical. Okay, so like we, those things don't fit if this passage in 1 Peter is about forbidding certain stuff. It isn't. Peter is clearly speaking into a context where maybe the focus had gone a little bit wrong. Um, So we're not looking at, it's not prescriptive um, about what women can and can't wear. It's kicking out against the idea of the external is what matters. Again, we know that that's, we know that that's not true, don't we? Like, we get it. Um, Similarly, verse 4, it's saying, look, don't get preoccupied with the external stuff. Actually, your value comes, it talks about this gentle and quiet spirit. Again, I'm like, well, what if you're allowed? Like, that makes me sound like you've got to be quiet and a bit passive and a bit timid. And, and I, I, I don't think that's it either. I think, again, that verse is wrong if we hear it as a weak thing. I think, for a start, gentleness is never weak. I really don't think it is. And I think some of that's something you almost, you kind of encourage. Actually, with our kids, don't we? It's one of the first things. Be kind, gentle hands, like... Gentleness is not weakness at all. So having a gentle spirit is a good thing. Again, if you look at the Amplified Translation, and I like it, it kind of pulls a bit more out of it. It says, calls us to have a gentle and peaceful spirit, one that is calm, self-controlled, not over-anxious, but serene and spiritually mature. This is very precious in the sight of God. I'd love to have that kind of spirit. That sounds good, yeah? So these verses, like all of the Bible, are about empowering us into the fullness of life. You know, and obsession with, you know, appearance and hairstyles and jewellery and all the rest of it is not fullness of life. Neither is crippling insecurity about how I look. That isn't fullness of life either. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with treating yourself to a nice haircut or something like Like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I think we need to be really careful we don't go off to unhealthy extremes. But in our culture, just as much as then, for men, just as much for women, I know Paul Peter is talking to women here, but actually the external... Um, physical appearance um, that just isn't where our value is and I know we know it but you know we need to make sure we live from that place okay sorry I know people have to go wrapping it up taking it away kind of the simple points that I kind of I feel like Peter is trying to get across is is women listen your value is not in your appearance or lack of men your value is not in your strength or lack of that isn't how it is what he's calling to is godly character that's what is of value, and that's what's influential. You know, even you know, for, so for non-Christian husbands becoming saved because they see this internal world, if you like, of their wives. Um, and the thing is, for all of us, you know, married, single, we are at our most influential um, when we're secure in our value, we're secure in our strengths, um, but we willingly lay ourselves down actually to demonstrate meekness, to submit to other people. Yes, specifically in marriage, husband, wives, like we are called to submit to our husbands. But husbands, you are called to sacrifice the whole of your lives for your wife as well. And listen, 
It's never going to work well for us in marriage if I am focused all the time on what Phil should be doing. Like, I have no way of making Phil sacrifice for me. Well, I probably do, but honestly, it would be manipulation. Likewise, he has no way of making me submit. Well, actually, he probably does, but that would be abuse. If, you, yeah, if someone is made to submit, I would argue that's abuse, not submission. Submission is a choice. But listen, if our focus is on what they should be doing rather than what am I empowered to give, um, like we're, we're just not going to have the full picture. And so I would encourage those of you who are you know, married to focus in and, and ask the Holy Spirit, Where do I need, what do I need to do to make this picture better? And know that he's absolutely, you are a co, this is not about, you know, the boss and the subservient one. It's not about, it's not about position in terms of inferior, superior. It's not. You are co-heirs of this wonderful gift of grace. But grace means you get to give what the other person does not deserve. Again, that's when the rubber hits the road. Yeah, when Phil absolutely does not deserve my forgiveness. He deserves the silent treatment for three weeks at least. Right? I get to choose to give out of grace because, you know, that's how Jesus treated me. He did not wait till I earned or deserved it. And so I get the privilege of doing the same. And goodness me, absolutely the other way around. You know, there's, there's so much that Phil gives that I, you know, I don't deserve. I get it horribly wrong. By no means, um, I'm so far off the perfect life. It's a bit of a joke. But I get to choose where I position myself. And my, in, for all of us, in marriage and in relationships and life, the call is, actually, what are you empowered to give rather than what are you entitled to take and what rights do you get to enforce? Like That's just the wrong start-off position. And then when we have that lens, we look at things like headship and submission and we end up in a mess because it's not like Jesus who was absolutely secure who he, who he was. He made himself nothing. He was not made nothing by the people or the situations around him. He chose to take that position. And so we are going to be at our most influential as sons and daughters when we willingly lay ourselves down because we are joint heirs of grace. And it's all about grace, to live in grace, to extend grace. What can I give, not what can I get? That's where there's life and that's where there's power. So I want us to pray and I, and I I actually want us to pray for everybody who's married. Um, and so single people, like just I, I want you to champion this for us because um, it's not always easy. So if you're married, and I did think about, you know, if I'm just going to ask all of you to be married rather than saying those of you who are, maybe there's issues because then you've got, like, so we'll all stand up because we've all got issues because we're married. So stand up, please, if you are married. I want to read, um, I want to read something from Colossians 1, um, which is talking about Jesus and who he is, <clears throat> which It's the message translation of of Colossians verse 1. It says this, that Jesus was supreme in the beginning and leading in the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. But listen to this, not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people, things, animals, atoms, get properly fixed and fitted together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his blood, his death, sorry, his blood poured down from the cross. Like, what a beautiful picture of marriage. Actually, broken, dislocated pieces getting fitted together in Jesus. Um, 
So I want, if you're standing around, if you're sat around somebody who's standing and somebody might need to move, I, I want us just to kind of lay a hand on those people who are married and I want to speak life over marriages. And some of you might be here feeling like, man, my marriage feels way dislocated. There is such a disconnect. You know, there's a picture in Ezekiel that Liz was showing actually in pre-service prayer, you know, where there's life, the valley of dry bones and as they prophesy, then actually these dry bones come to life. Even a valley of dry bones was made to live again by the power of God's word. Even that level of kind of dysfunction and disconnect. And so I feel like maybe some people feel like my marriage feels like a valley of dry bones. I just want to speak life this morning. Resurrection power. Um, But actually, I I want us to pray for that connection in marriage. Actually, that's what Jesus wants to do. You know, things that were dislocated, he fits together in its proper place. And so even this whole thing about headship and submission, this kind of puzzle, it's like, Actually, we can fit these pieces together in Jesus. And actually, it's a way for us to have life and life in all its fullness. So I want you just to maybe just, wait, just start praying and blessing those married people around you and just speak life and connection and protection. If you haven't got anyone standing with you, wave if you're married and no one's praying with you. Maybe some people can head over this way. That would be amazing. So just doesn't need to be complicated words. Just speak life and grace and power over these marriages. So Jesus, we just say that we love you. We just declare that you are supreme over everything. Jesus, that you reign in and over every single one of these marriages represented here. And Father, I thank you that in you, we all find our proper place, that in you, these pieces get fit together. And so I pray that over every one of these marriages, God, I pray for just deep and lasting connection and protection. And Father, I pray for all of us, married, single, um, God, that we will be a people who learn to live in grace and learn to actually just delight in actually what we're empowered to give rather than demanding what we're entitled to and what are our rights. Jesus, we want to be like you. And we know that actually there's a promise that the meek will inherit the earth. So Jesus, would you teach us in our marriages what it is to be meek? Would you teach us in our friendships? Would you teach us in our workplaces? Teach us in this church family, God, how to be meek because we want to inherit. We want to inherit the fullness that you have for us. So, Jesus, I just pray over each marriage, beauty and strength and new life and resurrection power. In the name of Jesus, amen. Feel free to keep praying if you want to. um... But listen, I want us to, um, I do the other thing I do want to, if you're on the prayer team this morning, please come. Um, I want to make sure we give opportunity. If you've come and you would like someone to pray with you this morning, if you are sick, if you have pain in your body, we want to pray for you. Um, If there's anything else that we've touched on this morning you'd like prayer for, please do come. These guys would love to pray with you.